Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business for this week. I am delighted to have a treat for you today because I have a gentleman by the name of Paul Akers on the show. Now, you're probably thinking, who's Paul Akers? I've never heard that name before, and that's fair enough. He is simply a carpenter. Yep, that's right. He's a carpenter. And we have a bit of fun playing around with that because, of course, as you know, I'm not just going to bring someone who plays with wood and makes amazing things on the show. That would be an interesting conversation. But no, Paul is much more than that. He is an expert in Kaizen, continuous improvement, continuous improvement of processes, people. And importantly, he's, he's taken the concept of lean and agile working and applied it to many, many other areas of life. So he's written a number of books. He's got two second lean, lean health, lean travel, how to leave, live a lean life. And this, I suppose, commitment, passion for Kaizen has resulted in him building a multi-million dollar business in the US and being recognized with a heap of different business awards for continuous improvement of processes, culture, so many different things, but I'm not going to spoil the fun. We're going to get into all of that today. So I was mucking around and we thought, you know, what can we, what can we call this episode? Because it's obviously not, here's Paul the Carpenter. So what we said is, why don't we call it how to stop being stupid with your time and resources? So that's what it's about. This is about productivity. It's about commitment, committing to improvement, to that continuous improvement. And to be honest, it's, it's a great conversation with just an incredibly humble, inspiring gentleman, which if you take in all the things he talks about, particularly about how he builds teams, he's got one of the most impressive processes I've ever heard of in terms of selecting people to come into his organization. And I think if you're going to take one thing away that's super practical, then listen to that part of the show. But I think more importantly, just have a listen to his ethos and his philosophy around this kind of lean living, because, you know, I was there deeply engrossed in the conversation and getting so much value out of just everything Paul said. So I know you're in for an absolute treat um, through all the insights that you're going to get. So that's it. That's Paul. Um, now, before I introduce him shortly, um, just call out again. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. You know, if you like scale your business or you don't, then let me know. You know, if I can improve it, that's always good. And if you haven't joined the Scale Up Your Business community on Facebook, then please do so. As I say, it's a thriving community, really helping people. And I am grateful, honored to be able to bring that to you and to be able to um, help the community in the way that I have been doing. So that's it. That's it for this week. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Paul Akers. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am delighted to have with me today, Paul Akers. Now, I'm going to let Paul introduce himself because he has got one of the most interesting, colorful, really unbelievable stories in terms of the things he's done. But he said to me before we started uh, recording, he said, I'm just a carpenter. 
So I'm going to oh, introduce yeah. Paul as a carpenter oh, yeah. and then let him tell his story. Yeah. Paul, welcome. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Nick, very much. So let's start. So, yeah, as yeah. I say, I'm just a carpenter. Yeah, go ahead. No, so let, go let's ahead. kick off because I'm, I'm, you know, I partly jest. I partly jest because no, absolutely. I know you said, you know, you're a humble guy and all that sort of thing, but you've done some amazing things. But let's, let's start off with kind of what you do now and, and the story to that and kind of what you're passionate about. And then I also want to get into kind of some stuff that we want to help people with on today's show. Right. So I tell people I'm just a carpenter and that's really my mindset. I was actually just in my wood shop just before I walked in here to do this interview. And the reason why I tell people that is because in a wood shop, you're taking something, a raw piece of wood, and you're creating something beautiful out of it. And I love that experience. It just like lights me up. And so what happened in my life to cut to the chase is as a carpenter, as a general contractor, as a builder, I noticed there was a problem with a particular process in my work. And that was covering screw holes inside of a cabinet. I basically thought of a better way to do that. And I invented a product called the fast cap today. That product is sold in 40 countries around the world, tens of millions of dollars. We have 800 products of all different varying range for the construction industry. And I travel around the world speak. I've written five books. And I started as just a carpenter who was curious about how to solve a problem. So that's why I say I'm really just a carpenter because that's all I am, just a curious carpenter. How do I fix this and how do I make it better? Did you, I mean, obviously when you, I mean, I love the focus and the presence around what you just said there, but obviously you've had a hell of a lot of success in the business world as an entrepreneur and all that sort of thing. But I, I mm -hmm. take it, you didn't kind of set out to do that. You set out to solve a problem and no, things have no. just come that way. You know, Nick, it's funny. I, I get interviewed thousands of times and nobody's ever said that specific thing. I didn't set out to become an entrepreneur or a successful business guy. I set out to solve a problem and that was basically it. And in the process of solving the problem, I came up with a solution that was useful to other people. So then I tried to create an environment where I could supply a useful, beneficial product to other people. Not thinking to myself, I'm gonna do millions of dollars with a business. Actually, to be honest with you, my wife and I's target for the company was to make enough money to be able to afford to go on vacation because she had quit school. We were both college educated school teachers. I was running my small general contracting business. She was homeschooling the kids. We didn't have a lot of extra cash, if you will. And we thought, if this product does okay, we can make enough money, maybe five, $7,000 a year, afford to go on a family vacation, maybe once or twice a year, right? That was the target. And today, it's a different ballgame altogether. Wow. But that was all we really wanted to do. We, we didn't have these, although I'm a very ambitious person, don't get me wrong there, I'm like crazy ambitious. But that wasn't why we did the product. That's fascinating. And was there a point in time where, where it changed? I mean, where you thought, you know what, this is starting to get more traction or get more people interested than you expected. And then you thought, you know what, now I need to turn this into a business of some sort and make it more scalable. Yeah, absolutely. So we like to tell the story, actually it's right behind me on that credenza up there where all the photographs yeah. are. That's where our fax machine sat 21 years ago. <laughs> fax machine, and wow. the fax, yeah, a fax machine, could you imagine? And so 21 years ago, a fax machine sat right behind me and it started going off in the middle of the night. I had done one trade show in Anaheim, showed the product. I had the cheesiest little brochure in the world and I had people walk in. I was actually not in my own booth. I was in another, I was in a German hardware company's booth who I bought hardware from as a customer. They let me be in their booth. I went to the trade show. The fax machine started going off at two, three in the morning. People from Australia, people from Europe, 
and and my wife and I would ran out here. We go, honey, there, there, there's all these orders in there. And at that point, we knew, oh my gosh, this is much bigger than we thought. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes, I mean, I work with different types of businesses and entrepreneurs, and one of the things that I, I I find quite fascinating is you get a lot of people these days who are writing the title of entrepreneur as if it's like some sort of celebrity thing, and they kind of want to raise all mm. their Series A, Series B, Series whatever, and then try mm. and become a, a unicorn, right? A, a, billion dollar company but i i I'm always, not, and i'm not and just so you know nick i'm not interested in that at all so my company's quite large as i said we do tens of millions of dollars worth of business yeah. we don't we don't really try to grow at all so this is a very interesting concept for me i don't care about growth i don't care i could be 200 300 million dollar company right now i could turn the switch on like that but i don't want it yeah. I want a quality life. Love it. I want a quality company and I want quality people. Size means nothing to me. I take it there's a point where you get more than you expected anyway, right? You know, you already said that kind of the aspiration you had at the beginning was to go on great holidays and travel. Mm -hmm. And you've obviously exceeded that massively. So there's a point where any more doesn't really matter. That would just simply be about status or vanity or something like that really wouldn't change it, it would be about me it'd be it'd be about me boasting hey nick i do 100 billion dollars how much do you do yeah, i can kill no, 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 it doesn't no. matter it doesn't matter at all it's not I mean, my I world either mate. it's not my world either i mean i was i did 10 years in private equity and i was sitting on the side of the table i wasn't the kind of investment dude with the mba and the spreadsheets i was the um, guy that right. put into businesses to try and fix them up when some crazy right, sure. when a crazy entrepreneur went sideways but it was funny. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe in businesses that are well run, that have got a good mission behind them, that have, you know, really care about both the customers and their employees and actually solve a problem. And if they solve that problem well, there's going to be value for everybody in that. That's what I like. Exactly. And that is an interesting point, Nick, because, you know, I have a lot of MBA students that go through my company all the time. And they always and I ask them at the end of the, the tour, I say, so what is the purpose of starting a business? of running a business. And they always say verbatim, every last one, to make money. <laughs> and I said, you have completely missed it, yeah. completely. The purpose of running a business is to serve your customer, to provide something of value that they're willing to exchange their time, their money, their effort for what you provide for them. And if you do that well, you will make money. You've got the wrong order there. Why do you think, because I've heard the same thing, right? Why do you think people have got it so wrong? I mean, these are not unintelligent people. I, I appreciate their mm. programs, but I, I agree with you. I think, I think business is about solving problems, right? If you can solve a right. problem really well, there's going to be an exchange of value as what you said. And then, you know, whatever happens from that happens from that. But you know, that's where people create wealth and freedom from, from solving the problem. But why do you think that's the case? Is it, is it just the way you, uh, I don't know the answer. Great question. I, I think I might know the answer. This is my opinion. Yep. I think it's based on the fact that people are not philosophically driven. People are not thinking about life philosophically. They haven't thought really deeply about what is the meaning of life and what is the purpose of life. And you arrive at those conclusions because of uh, a good grasp of history, studying other great leaders throughout the course of the last 10,000 years. There's many for us to look at understanding their failures and their successes and what they did along the road. So if you approach life from that way, all of a sudden you understand the real meaning of life. You become, you become much deeper about the way you think about people and the way you expend your time and energy. So I love that. I love a, good that. a good historical basis, good historical understanding would enrich your philosophical 
understanding of life. That would be my answer. Yeah, and that's lovely. I read a book recently called The Surrender Experiment by a guy called Michael Singer. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't. But it's a book where he essentially surrenders to decisions. It's quite it's quite a um spiritual book, I suppose, more than anything else. But what Mm -hmm. it talks about, he kind of says yes to everything in the book. And and as he says yes to it, he builds a business which is worth hundreds and if not if not close to a billion dollars. And he all he does is sit on his farm and meditate. But I don't 100 percent agree that you can't you do that and you don't take action, you don't get the result. But I've, I've yeah, the, yeah. the balance between the things. So, and what and let's yeah. just go forward. So you so you're serving people. You've created this this thing. It's starting to get momentum. What about the skill set for yourself around business? Did you then think actually I need to um, learn some different skills, or was it something that you did as a kind of trial and error, and and you kind of learned by by positive experiences? Well, there's a reason why your show's number one in the UK and number 17 in the US. You're asking very good questions. That's very interesting. Yes, I felt a great deficiency as my company grew and scaled and started working internationally. So think about myself. I'm a, I'm a guy with two employees working as a carpenter, a general contractor. I have a small little shop at my home. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing with international vendors, suppliers, and customers. So I felt greatly deficient. And I felt like, wow, I was running a million miles an hour just trying to keep up with all the complexity that was facing me. And so I like to tell a quick story. I tell this in my book as well. And so what happened was there's a business center at our local university, Western Washington University, and they would coach businesses, small entrepreneurs like myself with issues. So I set up an appointment and I went and met with Tom. He was the director of it. And I told him I was having problems managing my inventory because some of it was coming from Europe and different locations. And if he could help me, well, he said, well, you know, I know I can't really help you, but I know some consultant that can help you. And I hired this, I had this consultant come in, take a look at my company and basically delivered a very powerful message to me. And remember who I am a little bit, because we didn't tell the listeners this, but I used to work for Bob Taylor. I've made thousands of musical instruments. Uh, I've made all the furniture in my home, everything you see behind me, I've made. It's just, I'm a master craftsman and I know how to manufacture. That's all there is to it. But he delivered a message that was contrarian to what my belief system about myself was. And he said, I don't think I can help you because you're clueless and you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) So, you know, you take contrast, you know, so you're making a lot of money, very successful. And this guy says, you're clueless and don't know what you're doing. So I said, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to learn the Toyota production system, lean manufacturing or Kaizen. And I didn't know what that was. And the story I tell is, It was Greek to me and I'm Greek. So that was really a problem and I didn't get it. So I hired these two young consultants to come in and help me for 10,000 bucks a week. And they came in in the course of two weeks, they took processes that were taking me 45 minutes to five minutes. That's how bad I was. So imagine it didn't take it from 45 minutes to 40 minutes. They took it from 45 minutes to five minutes. And now remember everything in my facility was immaculate, perfect, it was better than anything you'd seen. A week, a week prior to this, the bank president came in and gave me a quarter of a million dollar line of credit. And you're a business guy, so you know they don't give non-MBAs, they don't give non-business people. I'm not, I don't have a degree in business, I have a degree in education. I was a woodshop teacher. They don't give lines of credit like that to company. And the president of the bank looked at my facility and looked the way things were running and said, Paul, not only would I give you a quarter million dollar line of credit, I'd give you any amount of money you wanted. I've never seen a company so well run, so well managed and so well organized. And then a week later, the Japanese came in and told me I was clueless. 
So what did you what did you correlate to that? I mean, you must have been spinning a bit here because you've got a successful business, so there's a formula that's working, <laughs> but you're stuck in the business a bit too much. And I can sense there's a bit of perfectionism coming through previously, which meant that the quality and the standards yeah. were so high, but they weren't necessarily efficient. Yeah, well, it was the the wasn't just that they weren't efficient. It was it was ignorance. Okay. It was ignorance of a world beyond the world that I had been exposed to. And the Japanese had done something at such a high level that they had astonished the entire world. And I was ignorant. I was, I was walled off from that by my own doing. And then I became exposed to it. So, I mean, I'm going back to your original question, you know, as you, you, you scaled up, did you feel deficient or I don't remember exactly how you were to it. And nobody's ever said that. And that is exactly what I felt. And then when I went to Japan, because a month later I got on a plane and went to Japan and saw Lexus and saw Toyota and saw what the Japanese were doing and began to understand this Japanese culture, which is the, what my last book is about, Banishing Sloppiness and Falling in Love with Precision. Then I really realized that they were on a different scale. They were on a different planet and I didn't even come to grips. I, I hadn't even come to grips with how far below I was. But then at that moment, everything changed. I, I realized... I was aspiring now to an entirely new standard that nobody I knew was aware of. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You use a word that I use all the time. I use the word precision or precise all the time. I also use the word crisp because I like things mm -hmm. to be done in a certain way. But, you know, it's interesting. Right. Did this then open up a whole new world to you in terms of because one of my questions to you is what are you most passionate about? And I don't mean that in a trite way because I look at the books mm -hmm. you've written and they all tend to focus now on where we're about to go. So was this like a total oh, what change? I'm, what, I'm, what I'm passionate about is people and specifically about people. I'm passionate about seeing people succeed and learn and discover. So my role in life, my purpose in life is very simple. It is to help other people discover their potential. And if I can facilitate that so they can understand that feeling of that God made us in such a special way, and the moment they understand that about themselves, everything changes. So this is what I care about. This is all I care about. When did you first understand that that was your, your mission? You know, I'm going to tell you, I remember where I was. I was driving down the road close to my house here, and I'd read uh, a book by Tony Robbins called Awakening the Giant Within. And I, I tell the story in Lean Life, one of my books. I had an epiphany, if you will. It's almost as though God spoke to me but there was no audible voice and it was, I don't make junk. I made you with a purpose to do something great. And I think that happened, Nick, because I'm from a family where my dad was an engineer, was pretty successful. My brother's very smart and I was not, I had dyslexia. I struggled with school and everything. And I always had a little bit of an inferior complex, you know, a little bit like I didn't quite measure up. And then all of a sudden I realized in that moment when I was driving down the road that, you know, God didn't make me to be a brain surgeon or a scientist, but he did make me to do something very, very special. And I quit doubting myself and started focusing on what it was God made me to do. And everything changed at that moment. Yeah. Well, we have a similar story. I mean, today's not about me. It's about you. But I, the, the big pivot in my life came under the gruffly voice of Tony Robbins as well. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I do sometimes find that on this show, you know, I do believe in things like serendipity and whatever else you kind of attract certain mm -hmm. things. So I didn't know that about you. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. It's that's life changing. Very powerful. Very powpful. That's mm -hmm. cool. Okay. So, so just take me forward a bit here. Cause I want to talk about, um, 
you know, we have a bit of a topic of this conversation. <laughs> and um, I love that we were you framed it as how how to stop being stupid with your time and resources. And I knew we were going to go all over the place and then come back because <laughs> that's what happens, right? But but I kind of I, I like the story of you've got this successful business. I can see this master craftsman here, and you kind of the precision piece. But there's also the quality and the standards are high. You've seen something that you didn't know existed beforehand. And then you've embraced that. And what I can see since, and again, I'm jumping ahead without knowing the detail, is you know, you've written books on on lean and and you've really adopted a philosophy around this stuff and obviously you've applied it. How did that happen? It was it was it the, the Toyota thing and going and seeing this, or was it the fact that you just embraced it and thought this is a really interesting concept and it felt congruent with you? Another incredible deep question. So the first step was realizing the gap. Yeah. I went to Japan and I realized the gap. And I've never answered the question this way before, only because you asked a very interesting question in the way you asked it. First was discovering the gap. The gap was not little. I was a very successful person. And what I didn't tell the story is, while I may have been a little carpenter, if you will, I had invested in real estate my entire adult life. And I think I was 37 years at that point. And every year we were married, we bought a house, another house. So I. I was pretty affluent in many, in many regards. Okay. Even though maybe I didn't make a lot of money, I had a lot of real estate. So I was very successful, but then I saw what Toyota was doing and the way they conducted their life, the way they managed and organized things. So the first step was I saw the gap. Then the next step was I, I figured out what they were doing. And what they were doing was something very simple. Unfortunately, the way it's explained to everybody, they make it very complex. They write big, thick books and everyone goes, I can't do that. That's too complicated. But then I went to Japan a second time and I recognized what they were doing. And it was a very simple formula. All they were doing was being able to see the waste that was in every process. And there were these eight ways, there was overproduction, there was transportation, there was inventory defects, overprocessing, excess motion, uh, and then wasting employee potential. So there were these eight ways. And I understood that all they did, this very complex and successful company, was just getting everyone, now this is the next thing, total participation. They got everyone in their company to understand there are these eight ways. And then they got everybody focusing on them every day to say, Oh, there's a little excess transportation. There's a little overprocessing. There's a little excess motion. And then make small steps to eliminate those. Small steps. So then I realized how simple it was what they were doing. I said, I can do that. I mean, I'm faced with that every day. Applying that simple process and then start making those steps and then feeling the benefit of them. So I started feeling the benefit. So I saw the gap. I figured out the formula. And then I started experiencing the benefit. And that was the progression. And I have never stopped. That's all I'm doing every day. And that's all I teach to everybody every day. There is no more complexity to it than that. And so what was it like if we jump back before this? So obviously you were you said you were, you know, stressed and there was a point where you were in the business and lots of things were going on. But mm-hmm. what, what did it just so I can feel this and so the listeners can feel this? Mm. What what was it? Again, a great question. <laughs> no, I, I like to I, I listen intently because I, I am fascinated. You, I can tell you do. I can tell you do. <laughs> One of the privileges okay. of doing a podcast like this is you always have fun and interesting people to speak to. And, mm-hmm. and for me, that's a privilege. So the business, because because again, there's a there's a shift that happens here. The business before, if I walked into it, 
let's say, you know, came in, you know, you can feel the culture when you walk into a business versus if I came in after you started to really implement this stuff, what was it like? Well, if you would have come into my company before Lean, you would have been very impressed as everybody was very impressed. Everybody wanted to know when I was going to go public. You know, it was just the most common question I got. Yeah. But if you if you walked in, you would say, wow, it's a well-run company. If you walked in after I started doing Lean, you'd go, what the hell is going on here? I've never seen anything like this. That's the difference. And the difference is I was muscling through my company in the first scenario. So I was the master firefighter. Everyone came to me and wanted to solve all the problems. I was running around fixing everything, solving all the problems. If the second part or the, the lean company is everyone else was the master solver problems and everybody else was fixing all the problems. Love it. It's funny. People ask me the definition of scale up, right? The concept of that. Mm -hmm. And I, this is my definition. There's other definitions. So it is, it's my opinion, but I say it's two things. I think it's the ability to be a great leader. And what that means is obviously developing people, building capability because, mm -hmm. you know, scale up isn't two people in a garage, right? It's, it's suppliers, it's employees, it's customers. And the second thing is, is systems and process, you know, whichever mm -hmm. way you look at it. And if you can apply those you things brilliantly, culture comes in that and wraps all around it. Then all of a sudden you can create something that runs like a machine, but at the same time is a very pleasurable machine. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a thing that kind of works well. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. Well, I think you just nailed lean very much. It's totally people oriented in that it believes that the greatest asset is people. I always ask those MBAs, what's your greatest asset? They always tell me money, right? <laughs> I say, no, you missed it again. It's your people. So you, first you develop your people exactly as you said, and then you realize that everything you're all doing, you all gather every day and all you're doing is system and processes. So if all you're doing is these systems and processes every day, why not spend a half hour every day, and this is what I suggest in my book, and improve them. So tomorrow, those system and processes are a little bit better. How much more enjoyable is your work gonna be, and how much more satisfied are your customers gonna feel that every time they contact you, they feel that the experience is a little bit better yeah, and I love the fact you, all there. You, you nailed it. No, it, well, you know, I had an epiphany when I was when I was saying that, which is I get invited sometimes. Well, I've been invited to speak at business schools a couple of times, and then I go and um, present what I'm going to talk about, and and then they say no, and now I realise why, <laughs> because I'm going to turn in there as like a heretic or whatever it's called. To, oh, oh, absolutely. You know, oh, I'm a heretic stuff. too. Yes, I, I'll be banned from all business schools because I'll be saying stuff that's mm -hmm. probably a little bit too true for what they want to hear. But anyway, <laughs> which Nick brings me to the next subject, and you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to give you a little segue here because it's a it, it's a very important point. I don't worry about those people because I'm not interested in reaching those people. I'm only interested in reaching what I call the two percent in the world that are intensely curious and want to find the gap. So I don't worry about that the business schools don't want to invite me. It doesn't bother me. I'm just looking for the people like you and everybody else who is interested in finding the gap. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I agree. And I, I talk about this quite a bit. You want to find the people, you know, you've got to, have, you've got to stand for and against things, right? There's no mm -hmm. point sitting in the middle and, and you'll find the people who resonate towards that. They buy into that and they're your people. And then you have people who aren't and that's absolutely fine. And don't waste your energy because this is part of the lean thing. That would be push. Don't waste your energy pushing your philosophy, pushing your concepts on people that don't want to hear it. It's stupid. Okay. It's waste. I want to talk about lean in a, in a bit of a, a more detailed, deeper way, if that's cool. Because mm -hmm. I don't think, and I'll be honest, I don't think I understand it yet 
fully, even though no I may, problem. I may, I may understand it better than I think I do. With, with, with your mind, you'll get it in three seconds. But go ahead. All right. So let's 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 unpack it from your perspective. I want you to define what lean is because you you've got stuff here, and I want to share it with the audience. You've got kind of lean, not just in business. You've got health. You've got travel. You've got life. Mm -hmm. It's a philosophy right. across many things. So I want to hear what what that philosophy is from your perspective. Right. So it's really so simple. Every day you wake up and you get out of bed and you either make your bed, you take a shower, you make your breakfast, you get your lunch ready, you look for your car keys. Those are all processes. Yeah. That's all it is. Life is really just a whole bunch of processes. You go through the day and you perform 100, 200 processes a day, whatever it is. I mean, answering email, communicating with people, all the processes that you put in place to communicate with me to prepare me for the for the podcast, those are all processes, which I might say your processes were significantly more thorough and detailed and well executed than all the other podcasts I've done. And I've done it with a lot of good people that have done a really good job, but your processes were even tighter wow. than well, all those other you. people. So the, the bottom line is we all do processes. So we can, we, have, we can agree with that. We'll get to the next step in lean. So all lean seeks to do is look at a process from the starting point to the ending point. Hey, where are my car keys? Uh, I think I left them on the counter there. I left them on. Or did you hang them on a specific hook when you came in? So, you know, when you walk out the door, you literally grab them and go. And that takes one second instead of the four seconds or five seconds to find them because you're not quite sure what counter you left them on. That's a process. Yeah. So from the point you start to the point you end, you ask yourself the question, where is the waste? And then you chisel away at that consistently you don't say oh i'm going to take it from one second to four seconds and i'm not happy until i get there no i'm going to take it from one second to to half a second or a quarter you know whatever the bottom line is then what happens is so you're refining the processes and improving them removing the waste and it's not just time you're improving quality as well and then you say how can i do that infinitely forever. So the lean journey never ends. A lot of people say, oh, well, I improved that and it's done. No, no, you never stop improving. So it's, it's first understanding you have a process, everything's a process. Two, beginning the, beginning the journey of improving that process, making it better, serving you better, and then realizing that journey of doing that with all processes never ends. And this is the critical point because a lot of people just get hung up on the fact, oh, I, I, made I make improvements. No, no, no. This is continuous improvement on everything. Got it. That's lean. Okay, I love it. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Now, now I'm going to ask you the more, well, I think it's a difficult question for people to kind of correlate because like, like most things, we all know what we, we should do or can do, but we don't do it. So <laughs> when, you, when you think about this from a business perspective, because I just want to land it back into that for a sec, and you've got someone coming to the organization, I can understand the mindset that, okay, but how do they practically do that? So they might be doing a process or running a department in your business, for example, and you, the, whole, the whole ethos and philosophy is around continuous improvement. How does that look like in a day-to-day -day basis? Well, first of all, I'm going to go back to what you said, and you said that a business is about developing people. Mm -hmm. So you can't, and this was the mistake I made, and I talk about this in my book. When I came back from Toyota and I saw what they were doing, I came back and looked at everybody and said, come on, start improving. It doesn't work that way. You have to teach them how to improve. You have to develop them. And that's part of our morning meeting 
that I established. Every morning we have a meeting that lasts a half hour where it's literally like a university. It's better than any university. You'll learn more. We study history. We study the Constitution. We look at, we study Deming's principles. We study Ono's principles. I mean, it's the most robust morning meeting you've ever seen in your life. It blows you away. So the answer is you first have to develop your people. You have to teach and train them to think entirely different than most of them have ever been trained in their entire life. So first you teach and train them. Then when you go to the soil that needs to be improved, then they're not coming there without a watering can and seeds and a rake. They have the tools and then you begin, then you go shoulder to shoulder with them. You have the rake, they have the hoe, they have the seed and the water and shoulder to shoulder and you plant the seeds or you make the improvement, shoulder to shoulder. So you've trained them, they've got the tools, then you go shoulder to shoulder and you work with them side by side to let them see and feel what it looks like. Now I can see how that lands back to what we discussed beforehand around getting people to realize and see their potential. Mm -hmm. And so- you know, I've, got a, I've got a situation right now that I'm doing with the landscaper. I hired a new landscaper and, and he just doesn't, he's just never thought this way at all. And you know, I'm the executive of a pretty big company and my time is worth a lot of money. I mean, I could pay for this guy's landscaping in five minutes for the rest of my life with the amount of time. And I'm spending hours with this guy teaching him how to landscape. Why am I doing that? Because of the joy and the satisfaction that I'm gonna feel and he's gonna feel when the light goes on and he goes, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Yeah, and you're gonna transform. I'm that, commi I'm that committed. You're gonna, that's gonna transform any his life though, isn't it? When you think about what that gift is. is gonna transform his life because he's gonna look at how he does everything and also probably how he thinks about his business in a totally different way. The impact that his exactly. clients will change. Okay. And he's a subcontractor. He's not an employee. Wow. I'm spending that much time with a subcontractor teaching them how to think this way. Yeah, but that's what you said before. When it becomes your passion and your mission, then it doesn't become work, does it? I mean- It doesn't matter. No, precisely. And that's, I mean, the question that comes out also is, you know, and this is one of the things that this is a very practical, rational thing, again, is lots of people find um, bringing the right people from a culture, values, behaviors perspective difficult into their organization. So is there a point where obviously you- Say, say that one more time, Nick. I want to hear that one more time. Would you say? I said that people, people I work with traditionally, particularly when they're going from startup to scale up, find it difficult to bring in the right type of people in terms of values, behaviors, and I suppose cultural fit with the organization. So we have the most interesting methodology to accomplish go. that. That I, Yeah, so I've never is, heard of anybody ever doing what we do no, before, but I'll tell you what we do. I'm curious about your, your meetings as well. I'm, that's kind of stuck in my head yeah. now. Um, yeah. The question I was going to ask is, obviously that, that can be an inexact science, a bit of art and science, if you like, and there's a point where we don't always get 100% right. I could be wrong, you probably do. But, um, you know, at what no, I don't. I don't get it a hundred percent right. Yeah, it's no. hard. But we get it. We get it. We get it more right than most people. But we don't get it hundred well, percent right. We're going to go back. We have a great process. It's definitely going to come back and talk about that. But is there a point where okay, you bring you've you've got people come to the organization. You've done as best you possibly can to to make sure they're going to be the right fit. They want to be there. There's the mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. At what point do you not continue this kind of support development for them to 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 improve? Because easy. Easy, easy question. I love it. It's a great question. So the minute somebody doesn't want to continue the learning process, they just say, I don't want to do this. We know we've got the wrong person. So let me give you a concrete example. No theoretical stuff. We're going to talk about Nick, the landscaper. Okay. So a man, Nick's six foot eight, big strapping, tall, good looking guy. Right. But 
he hasn't been developed. That's, I don't know what to say. He just had, nobody, nobody's come alongside and nurtured him. But the one thing Nick has that most people don't have is a phenomenal attitude. So when I say, Nick, that's not what I want. I want you to get every weed. I don't want to see any weeds. He doesn't say, this stupid asshole, I don't want to deal with you. He says, okay, Paul, I understand what you want. I understand. And then he does it and he misses one. I say, Nick, that weed right there. And he goes, oh, you want that level of detail. Do you want that level of precision? Yes, Nick, that's what I want. It isn't like, you asshole. The right attitude. So Nick has a learning attitude. He has a, he's grateful that I'm spending this much time teaching him what I want and what I need. And so as long as someone's teachable, the game goes on indefinitely. Get it. And it's also the minute they become, they don't want to teach, they don't want to learn, then what can you, you can't, you can't make, you got to have a hungry person to eat. Yeah, I mean, if they're not hungry, there's, there's no point in trying to beat them. No, I get it. And I, and I say this quite a lot, you know, because people ask the question, do you hire someone? Let's say, you know, because again, we're talking about different stages of, of a business. And they say, do you hire someone based on, on sort of experience or attitude or aptitude and those sort of different concepts? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. So we, we, here's what we say. Yeah. We, hire for, we, hire for, uh, we hire for culture and we teach for skill. We, we hire for character, excuse me. We hire for character and teach for skill. We can teach anybody how to do anything in our company. Why? Because we have great processes, right? Our, it's not difficult to work at FastCap. It's easy to work there because everywhere you go, everything is clear, explained, and the person before you, the person that's entered into that area before has been thinking about you. When you arrive at their workstation, when you arrive at the bathroom, when you arrive anywhere at our company, you go, there are considerate, thoughtful people who have been here before me to prepare this for me to succeed. So we hire for character, people that care about other people, and we teach for skill. Love it. I want to emphasize that point for everyone listening. Because again, it's one of the biggest things that people get wrong, and certainly what I see. And I remember I'm, do, I'm dealing with businesses that need to be turned around a lot of the time as well as. Right. And sometimes a decision like that, getting that wrong, particularly if you're in a startup phase, can take you back six months or more and can even make the business even not sustainable or, or, or even mm -hmm. existing. So let's segue back to the process here of how you bring these people into your business. Okay. Well, this is the most fun maybe of the whole interview so far. So first of all, we believe that resumes are all lies. So you can't give us a resume. We will reject it. We say, I don't want your lies. You've spent all, you spent, you know, months polishing this thing to make it look like someone you are. And they're, it's all bullshit. Hopefully you can leave that. Or you no, know, no, we're good. We're good. We're very open okay. and honest. Okay. Okay. All right. So we don't accept, but what we do accept is a 60 second to two minute video holding your phone horizontally. Now this is very important. No vertical videos. You'll hold it horizontally like this and you shoot me a video of telling me about yourself just natural so immediately it filters out probably 75 percent of the people because people don't want to do that so it immediately tells us someone's willing to try something new learn something new what the hell what do i have to lose so they send me a video they text it to me i give them my cell phone number i watch the video if i like them i bring them in for an interview if i still like them i offer them a test day they work with all of our people. We put, we assign them, you know, not all of our people. We assign them to six or seven people, six or seven work areas. And then at the end of the day, we bring in our people and we ask them, do we want to offer this guy or this woman a test week? 
And if we don't have 100% unanimous from the people that work, but we don't, we don't offer them a job. Because who's better to hire them, the people that work with them or me? I don't have to work with them. You know what I mean? They have to work with them. And they don't want any losers and they don't want any loafers. They want people that are highly engaged, that want to learn because we have a learning culture. Everybody thinks this way. So then we bring them back for a test week. We pay them. And if everybody unanimously bring them into the office, bring them in the conference room, and they say, yeah, he's a winner or she's a winner, and no, they're a loser, we don't hire him or we hire him. And we get it right 99% of the time. So I, I use the concept of no dickheads policy. You're very similar. <laughs> exactly. um, I'm going to jump back to one thing you said, though, because I think it's an interesting um, – there's one part through that process which – is 100% based on on your decision, which is that you use the word like, if I like them. How do you, de- mm-hmm. how do you de- define whether you like someone in that 75? No, it's really, uh, number one, curious and asking questions. Lively, curious and asking questions. Okay, Alicia, what do I do on this? What do I do next here? They, they say, he asked good questions, she asked good questions, uh, very energetic, always wanted to know what's next, or, okay, check my phone. I mean, it's, it's simple. Somebody who wants to support our culture, who wants to be engaged with a highly emotionally uh, positive environment where people are all helping one another. So the number one thing we hear from people after we've hired them or after they spent a week with us is they say, everyone's so helpful everyone's so nice there's no politics there's not all the you know these people don't want to do it that but there's none of that everybody is there to help you and serve you yeah see i can see that i love that i you know that whole video thing is fantastic too because i can see that you don't someone who's not prepared to try something new you know be a bit adventurous mm-hmm. kind of get out of their head to some extent you don't want that sort of person right so yeah, that's powerful. What do you say? And I, I'm gonna. This is a question I get. I'm curious of your answer. I think I know the answer, but I want to see how you say it. What do you say to someone who says strategy is more important than culture? I would say go read the book "How to Win Friends and Influence People" by Dale Carnegie. I would say that if people don't understand that what we're doing all day long is interacting with other people and the effectiveness in which you do that, the culture that you create where that happens if you think that is a lower level than having just a good strategy well then again i think i would go back to my previous comment that you're probably not very well informed no no and i and i it's funny how many times people get this wrong though right and again you know we, we i don't want to feel like we've um uh, kind of, you know, ridicule business schools and all that sort of thing. But there's a, there's a certain degree of people like, I think people like things that they can understand rationally, right? You know, and, and strategy kind of choices, kind of, oh, I need to get from here to there and there's a path or there isn't and I need to do this. It's kind of, it's cognitive in that respect. But when you start talking about culture and emotions and people's kind of belief systems and stuff like that, it just gets a bit woo-woo for some people. So therefore they just want to close it down. And I'm talking about- Right, when-, when- when there's really a yin and a yang on that whole thing, I'll tell you a great story about that that's very quick. I was in Kazakhstan. I've worked there for four years, working with the largest construction company in the country. And my translator's mother is the number one pianist in the country, and she runs a conservatory there. And she was playing on her Steinway in her office for me, and she stopped, and she said, you see, Paul, 
It's the rational and the emotional. When you play the piano like this, I am completely enveloped with the sound. There is no question about it. It is an emotional experience, but it's also a mathematical experience. It is also a rational experience. I have to understand how the keys work. I have to understand the mathematical sequence of the music and what's going on. And it is the alchemy of those two that is so powerful. And this is life, and this is what I realized. When I was in my sh shop, I, I, my wife and I's first home was in a barrio in Los Angeles in a very poor neighborhood. We couldn't afford anything else. And I realized that I was an artist. I love to build furniture and I love to create, but I realized my deficiency, if we can hearken to the word you just use, strategy, or my, that my deficiency was the rational side. I thought it was just okay to be a Van Gogh, but I had to be a good business person. I had to have a good strategy. I had to, I had to be, have, I had to have good processes. The moment I realized that I would, I would hinder myself or handicap myself if I just focus on, I'm an artist. And I flushed that down the toilet and I said, I'm an artist, but I'm also a savvy, thoughtful business person. And I'm going to develop the processes and I'm going to maintain my artistic skills. I'm not going to separate the rational and the emotional. And strategy is very important, but it doesn't trump the emotional side. I like that. It's a great, it's a great answer to that question. I, I contextualize it um, in, a, in a similar way, but slightly different. I talk about three things. I say, and it's funny, actually, when I work with someone, they don't land in the way that I'm going to express them to you now. But I talk about mindset, I talk about skill set, and I talk about heart set, right? And mm -hmm. heart set's the one that people kind of go, what are you talking about? That seems weird. But it's partly around, you know, how, how you make the best decisions. You know, when you're in flow, mm -hmm. it's usually when you're connected mm -hmm. to both here and here. And oh, absolutely. Skill set's mechanics, right? It's the stuff you were saying beforehand. But if I go right. and speak to someone in their business and say, okay, let's, let's even talk about mindset, which is a little bit easier to understand than heart set. Heart set sure, sure, yeah. sure. But, um, but it's those three things in some form of congruence, in some form of acceptance, if you like, that, that then you start mm -hmm. to see some really powerful things happen, both, both in business and life, but there are parallels. Isn't it be it's beautiful. And I, it's, it's, it's the magical alchemy, what you just said. Yeah. And I recognize that early on, and I'm so lucky, I feel so lucky that I did because I see most people pierce themselves with so much pain and so many stupid taxes on their life because they don't get the balance of those. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. And this is my sort of epiphany. And I think probably where you were coming from as well, from what we said with good old Mr. Tony Robbins was trying to connect a few of those mm -hmm, dots together. Mm -hmm, but once you get it, and, and, once you get it, right. it works. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm gonna just say something about Tony Robbins, you know, I really am so grateful to Tony Robbins, the books he wrote and what he did. And, you know, we're in a generation right now, we're seeing everything that's happening politically in the United States and everywhere else, yeah. where everybody wants to handicap everyone if they're not perfect. Tony Robbins is not perfect. And that doesn't diminish his effectiveness and his influence on me and you and everyone else. And so I don't go, oh, but Tony Robbins. Are you kidding? Oh, but Paul Akers, I'm far from perfect. I have made countless mistakes. And if you hung all my mistakes up, I'd look like a buffoon. I don't think we should be measuring people by whether or not they're perfect or whether or not they've made mistakes. That's all I do is make mistakes. What is the contribution to the world? And Tony Robbins, you know, love him, like him, whatever. I'm grateful for the contribution he made to my life to change my thinking.
Yeah. And I, and I like what you say there about, you know, this ideal of perfection or not. I actually find the people are the most interesting, the ones who have the scars and the, and the, the kind of character Absolutely. marks. Because, you know, it, they've been there it becomes more real you know if something's too perfect in my in my world it doesn't really exist how do you relate how do you relate listen i want to ask you one last question if that's all right this has been a great conversation you know it's, it's been a better conversation than i expected not because i wasn't anticipating that there's just been a few surprises that have popped up through this which has been brilliant so thank you so much for coming on but the question i want to ask you is you know you've achieved some amazing things as i said i didn't go, i didn't go through the list and i know that wasn't what we were supposed to do but i'm gonna share some of it in the show notes um what haven't you done what's next oh uh, it's funny that you would ask that so my goal is to change the world and specifically to work with a head of state of some country and teach lean to the entire country teach the idea of continuous improvement put a smile on your face and experience the joy of waking up every day knowing it's better than the day before because you set up great processes. That's my ultimate target. But what? But the, the step before that, what I haven't done, is I would like to have a television program uh, where I go around and help people around the world. Uh, you know, we walk into their business, we teach them lean, and I think it would be a lot of fun. And yesterday I was contacted by, I can't tell you who, but I was contacted by a major producer to begin that discussion. Whether or not it materializes, I have no idea. I have the interview tomorrow on Skype and we'll see what happens. But that, that's another one of the stepping stones because I think the more I'm recognized as someone who is just a regular carpenter, a regular guy that enjoys helping people, that eventually that opportunity will afford itself to me. So I'm just very persistent and very quiet and just working through it. I'm sure it'll happen. You know, so that, that's what I haven't done. You attract two things. You attract that stuff, mate. You know, you put it out there. They say first in the mind and then it happens. You start to see those opportunities. Sure, so sure. I agree with that. Well, listen, you know, Paul, the, uh, the somewhat, I'm going to say, I'm going to say simple carpenter. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's that's it. I'm just a carpenter. Just a carpenter. Look, at that. Look, look at my hands. I've got cuts on my hands. I'm, I'm beat up. I, my fingernails are a little dirty. I'm, I, you know, I am you're, just you're a regular a very, guy. Very impressive carpenter with all the stuff that you've done. And and do you know what? I, I, it's funny when I listen back. I listen back to these these conversations, and then I and I kind of do the intro and whatever else. But I always reflect on them and try and try and think about what are the lessons. There's so many different things in here that I want to bring out because it's not just about lean. That's that's really powerful. But you've talked a lot about culture. You've talked a lot about kind of your own mindset through this. There's a heap of things here, which mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. is going to serve the scale up your business community and, and, and the listeners to this show um, immensely. So, so Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Great to meet you. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. It was a pleasure meeting you too, Nick. Thank you. Great questions. Mm -hmm.